Well, we absolutely are in silos. There's no two ways about that. And that has only been exacerbated by the uh, the campaign and the election. We have for a very long time been moving in this direction. Welcome to this edition to Voice of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. And that was Lawrence Pintak, the founding dean of the Edward R. Murrow College of Communication at Washington State University. He is the former CBS correspondent and expert in Islam and the Middle East. He has recently, or excuse me, he has recently written a book called American Islam. It will be available in May. But I wanted to really talk to him today about the tragedy that occurred in Christ Church because it was involved in, with the Islam religion and the right-wing group, our singular, I guess, right now, who had something to do with that tragedy. And uh, it's a little bit more personal for me because I also have a niece that just moved to Christ Church literally two weeks ago from Auckland. And she is um, there now, and tragically, she knows one of the victims. So that we'll be talking about coming up in about other issues in the Middle East. Again, we have a person who's an expert on this subject. Then Glenn Osterhout will lighten things up considerably. He's a certified financial planner, and uh, his company is Satera. Advisor Networks. And uh, we're not here today to talk about financial planning, so you don't need to run from the show right now. You probably have that all taken care of. He's going to be talking about an organization, a nonprofit by the name of Cougs First, which began seven years ago. And it started with about five businesses. The concept was this Cougs doing business with Cougars, okay? Great marketing concept. And it started again about five or six businesses in a conference room at the Bellevue Hyatt. And now it has grown into, again, I'll emphasize one more time, seven years later, into a trade show at the Washington State Trading Convention Center, and well over 100 businesses, Cougar-owned businesses, are participating. And this is going to happen tomorrow afternoon, starting at 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock, and we'll give you some of the details coming up on that. Sandwiched in between my interview will be a brief visit with Bill Maher in his new rules segment on HBO that airs on Friday nights. Today, a message to Democrats, get tough. I couldn't agree more. If you were at home on Saturday night and you happen to be watching a show called Seattle is Dying, it aired on Como TV and hosted by Eric Johnson, who, by the way, is a graduate of Washington State University of the, of the Edward R. Morrow College as well. I don't think I've seen any more buzz on a local show that's been produced in the last 20 years or so, and it has to really focus on, or it did focus on, the homelessness problem we have now. And, well, we've had for some time, too. But what's new? What did Eric Johnson uncover that we don't know? I don't know so much if he did that other then really going and focusing in on some of the major issues. We've covered this before on this show, but the mentally ill and the addicted walking the streets, breaking the law, and the fact that the Seattle police are not really arresting anybody anymore because they feel that they just come right back out on the street, so why bother? So there's a real breakdown in this city right now, and this show, I think, really pointed it out quite well. The problem appears to be only getting worse. And uh, for what it's worth, 
I believe it's time that the city and this region declare a state of emergency and try to go at this problem. And I don't say you're ever going to solve it entirely, but we are doing a miserable experience. And I say we, I'm part of the problem too. But we need to come to grips with this. I've lived in Seattle, this city, for 40 years, and I've never seen anything like this. And it gets frustrating. And for a long time, I was taking the posture of, well, you know, it's really bad in other cities. San Francisco's terrible. Los Angeles is bad. It's everywhere. So it's not just Seattle. Well, I'm kind of tired of saying that because I do think it's really bad here. And I don't really care about what's happening in San Francisco. I care about Seattle because this is our area. And we've seemed to have the spirit to solve problems, but we're not doing it now. So I really suggest that you watch this special. Maybe Seattle is dying is a little bit of an exaggeration. Okay, making their point, as a lot of news outfits do. But what their message is very clear. And they did show other cities, specifically Providence, Rhode Island, which is approaching the situation differently and having some success with it. I, for example, saw something in San Diego several months ago, and they're treating this like it is a national or, excuse me, emergency in the city of San Diego. That's the way they approached it. They kind of looked at it and said, what would happen if a level five hurricane came through San Diego, 150 mile an hour plus winds, and in the Gaslamp District was flattened, a lot of people were injured, they needed their limbs repaired, a lot of people with severe injuries. How would we approach that? And that's kind of the way they are now approaching their homelessness crisis. I wish I had a better update, but I like the way they are approaching it. And a lot of the people are parking in designated parking areas. They have those around the San Diego area, people in their campers and in their cars, trying to bring some semblance of organization to the problem. And I will say this. I feel bad about it, but I feel worse for the people living like this every night. We need to do something about it. I would like anybody to call in on this if you'd like to do that. And uh, the phone number you can call on the Voices of Experience hotline is 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. And just give your opinion. Keep it about 30 to 45 seconds about what you feel about the homeless crisis and where you're at in terms of your head around this problem. One more time, 425-653-1166. Back with my interview with Glenn Osterhout in just a few moments. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. That's Glenn Osterhout. We just got on the line, and we're going to be talking to him, and he is the chairman of the uh, Cougs First show, and I introduced it as the seventh annual Cougs First show starting tomorrow afternoon at 4 o'clock p.m. at the Washington State Trade and Convention Center. And, Glenn, I heard that you and Jack Thompson together have guaranteed that anybody who attends the event tomorrow 
will get a free car, a BMW. Is that true? <laughs> Actually, uh, I think what happened was Paul Casey uh, had promised that, so we were willing to promote it, but we didn't get uh, we didn't get the final sign off. Whoa, but, whoa, whoa! Uh, Who's Paul Casey? I've never heard of Paul Casey. Uh, I will say this. Uh, there may not be free cars in the offering, but there is going to be a lot of uh, deals, discounts, promotions, and all kinds of things happening at the show from 100-plus uh, Cougar-owned, managed, and affiliated businesses at the Washington State uh, Convention Center tomorrow. You mentioned the time, which is 4 to 8 p.m., and there will be a lot of sizzle around it, including celebrities and so forth. And, uh, Glenn, walk us back just a bit. I, I introduced the show. I said this started seven years ago at a Hyatt uh, Regency hotel with a conference room of about six to seven businesses. And now, as you just mentioned, it's evolved into 100-plus businesses at the Washington State Trade and Convention Center. This is stunning development. And I know from talking to you before, this was a real opportunity for marketing and not only just marketing per se, but Coog's own businesses. How has it been working for them? Uh, well, actually, in, in, uh, you're right. We're now in our seventh year. And, and quite frankly, uh, like most businesses, uh, it's really just gotten better each and every year. Uh, the, the show itself and uh, Coog's doing business with Coog's, which is really the basic premise. We're encouraging WSU alumni and friends to think Coog's first for their products and services. So, and if, if they're looking for an example, you said a car or a truck or an RV or insurance or uh, an accountant, a lawyer, um, you know, if you're taking a look for a landscaper, a roofer, uh, wineries, Beecher's Cheese, uh, we, uh, as you know, have over 70,000 uh, WSU alumni that live in greater Puget Sound, and we're literally in every space imaginable in the business community. And so our whole concept is that we want Cougs to make an intentional act to seek out fellow Cougs and give uh, the individual an opportunity to earn their business. And quite frankly, as time has gone on, there has just been more and more commerce that has happened. And Cougs First as an organization, we are also reaching out to what we call our affiliated businesses. Affiliated businesses are large organizations that have a strong relationship with Washington State University. BECU would be an example of that. That is an affiliate of Washington State. They are the sponsor of the show in both Seattle and Spokane. And this is not just limited to WSU graduates or WSU students. Anybody can come to this, and it's free, correct? Absolutely. Well, we actually, and we market this as WSU alumni and friends. Uh, we want uh, people in the Seattle community uh, uh, to come out to the show, to join us, this is an opportunity for them to get an understanding of what the Cougar Nation is all about. Uh, we both know from our own experience, a very passionate, loyal group. Uh, and that, quite frankly, is, is a large part of the reason that this network is working. It's, it's working for business and commerce with each other, but it's also working uh, for these organizations hiring Cougs. So it's think Cougs first for your hiring as, as much as it is your products and services. I also see that you're expanding into other areas like additional events. And at the uh, State Convention Center, there will also be between 1.30 and 2.30 p.m., there will be something of a BECU Cougs First Roundtable. What's that going to be about? Uh, great question. So what we've done is, is we're expanding around the show each year. And so from 1.30 to 2.30, we have a, 
a business panel, and it's going to feature uh, Michael Thompson, uh, who is the CEO of Trilogy Partners, who is a longtime veteran in the uh, in the cellular business. Got his start early on, uh, clear back in the Macaw days in the cellular business. And then Mary Nam, who we all know, who is a uh, broadcast anchor at uh, Como News, is going to be another panelist. And then a young coop named Cole Morgan has a company here, High Tech, uh, called Snap Rates, where they raise money for high schools and universities utilizing technology and social media. He's got a fascinating business model. And the, the whole concept around the business panel is these are highly successful individuals, uh, all WSU alumni, and the whole thought process is that they're going to share with them some of the things that they've learned over the years in terms of managing their careers, managing their businesses, how they work with people, so on and so forth. This, again, is open to all, free to attend. It's 1.30 to 2.30 on the sixth floor at the convention center. And then following that is uh, President Kirk Schultz. He will be speaking at 3 o'clock, again, on the sixth floor, uh, open to all, free to attend. From 3 to 4, he'll give the keynote, which is really the update uh, for what all of the things are happening at Washington State University. And Kirk Schultz is the president of Washington State University for people who may not know that, but I doubt that. But if they don't, yes, he's the president and he's out there. Um, okay, so what about parking around there? Do you have any suggestions for that? Or is a, there... a couple of thoughts. I, I think if you come early, uh, you know, the early activities start at one thirty. I think if you get there early, uh, you, you'll find parking in the convention center. Quite frankly, I think if you live in Seattle and are close, uh, I would encourage you just to walk or Uber. Sometimes the convention center get, can get crowded, uh, obviously not just because of Kooks first, but there's just a lot of activity in general. Yeah, there's there. other things so going on, too. It's pretty easy to Uber or walk there for people that are close, and we have a lot of people do that. Um, but it will be the, the crowd will be spread out over the course of the day, too. Uh, the show itself starts at 4, and that runs till 8, and there's an after party from 8 to 10. So. People can really come, you know, in terms of the show, kind of throughout the entire uh, time frame. Excellent. Well, Glenn, that sounds great. I know you've been working so hard on this for years, and I'm so glad that it's where it's at now. You, you really have done it, and now it's in Spokane. They're going to have their second year in April. We'll talk about that in a future show, but here it is. I mean, this is working, and it's, it's quite exciting. And uh, before we let you go, Huskies are invited, too. When you say friends, you're including them? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, this is WSU alumni and friends, and I think the way we look at it is competitors on the athletic field and friends and business partners in the community. Well so, said. Uh, I think we should all all view it that way, and, and a lot of, of my Husky friends will be there. So, Excellent. Um, it's a very unique event, as you know. Yes, I've, I've attended every year. I will be there tomorrow. So, uh, great. great. So it's uh, tomorrow, Washington State Trade and Convention Center. Let's drop the trade. They don't use that anymore. Uh, that's Wednesday, March 20th, tomorrow, 4 to 8 p.m., followed by a after-party. It's on the 6th floor, Hall 6BC, but there will be signs. You'll get be able to get there very easily. Very accessible. It's a great event. Glenn, thank you. Paul, thanks so much. Go Cougs. Go Cougs. Talk to you later.
Last week, the Democrats made a terrible decision when they announced that they had turned down Fox News' offer to host one of their 2020 primary debates, saying Fox was nothing more than propaganda. Okay, so why not go on Fox News and tell them that? This is a fundamental problem with the Democratic Party. They look weak. I used to think the reason I never saw prominent Democrats on Fox News was they weren't invited. You know, President Kennedy said, we choose to go to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Where's that kind of Democrat today? So what if Fox News is fixed? Life is fixed. You want a fair shake? Go get a massage with Robert Kraft. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills, because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. And, of course, that was uh, Bill Maher talking about uh, Democrats being tougher and focused and disciplined, and he said about JFK saying years ago, not because it's easy, because it's hard, and I couldn't help wanting to play that actual clip from a speech he made in 1962, focusing us on the energy. And I just play that, too, because the Democrats, to me, have been extremely weak and unfocused, and I just hope that they can get their act together this time and make a big change in 2020, and I think you know what I'm talking about. Now, talking about a change, uh, events did change uh, this week in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand, because they never saw anything like happened there that we've seen all too frequently. And I mentioned at the top of the program that it affect me somewhat personally because uh, I have a niece living in Christchurch, New Zealand. She had just moved there uh, two weeks ago, and one of her co-workers was one of the victims. And uh, it's shaken the whole country. And uh, I have Lawrence Pentak on the line, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, he is the founding dean of the Edward R. Morrow College of Communication, and he's also just written a book uh, on uh, American Islam. It's going to be available later in May, but we'll talk about that a little later. But first, uh, Lawrence, welcome. Thanks so much, Paul. Yeah, I uh, looking at the Christchurch situation and, and looking at that, what is, if anything, is different about what happened there in this mass shooting? Different than other mass shootings? Different than Yeah, other okay, that needs a little bit more explanation. <laughs> yeah, it's like, did, is this a game-changer at all, do you think, uh, in terms... Well, Paul, as you well know, every time there's a mass shooting, uh, people say, is this the game-changer? Is this the one that's going to mean we're going to pass this law, that law, the other law? And it always passes by. Uh, we move on to some other crisis, we move on to some other distraction, and we forget all about or at least we stick what happened into the back of our memories and uh, look, look at other crises. 
Is the situation in uh, New Zealand much different than it is in the United States with the uh, Islam uh, religion? Well, well, no. It's uh, well, in some ways, it is in that uh, Muslims are very overtly, you know, as we've certainly heard the New Zealand Prime Minister in the last few days, Muslims are overtly welcome, and all immigrants are overtly welcome in in uh, New Zealand. Obviously, there are racists in New Zealand, like there are everywhere else, but the overriding national narrative is one of acceptance of diversity and acceptance of immigrants. Uh, we heard the prime minister say that when she spoke to Trump and he asked, what can we do? She said, talk about how you accept Muslims. Well, that didn't work out too well, did it? No, of course not. Uh, that's maybe how I should have started the question. What is different in that? And that's the headline in terms of how we used to be. Not anymore, of course. There are, of course, pockets of people who never wanted immigration, but it was kind of the same, I guess I felt, with what uh, New Zealand is, it has been going through, that they're more welcoming as we used to be. Um, so I guess uh, when you look at going forward in this and, and, you know, business as usual, I guess, we'll get through this tragedy and we'll just forget about it and move on. I guess I'm going to ask you the question, like, what do we understand or don't understand about Islam and the Muslims that we should in this country? Well, I think I think it's I almost turned the question around. Um, and that is, why do we feel that we we know about Islam and have these preconceived notions about Islam rather than just accept it? I mean, there are how much do you know about Sikhism? Uh, how much do you know about Hinduism? How much do you know about Buddhism? Um, There are many, many, many religions in the world. There are many communities in America, and we don't necessarily know what it is these people actually believe. Um, What's happened with Islam is that, you know, we, and I'll I'll use the royal we, I mean, as a a nation, that subset of people who are racist say that, oh, yeah, we know all about uh, Islam and and they're nasty. I mean, we're doing a project, you mentioned the book upcoming, but right now in real time we're doing a project where we are, my, my research team and I, where we are examining the social media feeds uh, that mention the various American Muslims who ran for office back in the midterms. And we identified 166 who ran for office from the governor of Michigan down to, you know, local edu- boards of education, that sort of thing. And obviously, Ilan Omar, the, Congress, the now congressman from Minnesota, and Rashida Tlaib from uh, Michigan, the now congressperson from Michigan, um, did win. They are Muslims, and they did win. And when we look at the Twitter feeds and the Facebook postings about these two women, it is, I mean, we've been looking at these for months, and I can't take enough showers to feel clean again. The level of vitriol, the level of hatred, the level of anger is completely and utterly off the chart. Uh, when when we looked at, we individually examined 90,000 tweets that mentioned Ilan Omar over in the six weeks that led up to the election. Over half of those were overtly Islamophobic, overtly included language that was was certifiably Islamophobic, Islamophobic. Not like, you know, we don't like you, we don't like your politics. There were lots of those. There were lots criticizing her policies on various things. But I'm talking about people who hate Muslims, who identify her as the, the, the enemy within. One of the terms you hear repeated over and over 
is Trojan horse. Well, where did that come from? Back in 2015, Donald Trump, doing an interview with George Stephanopoulos, said, we have to set up a database of all these immigrants. We don't know who they are. This could be the great Trojan horse. Well, so one we question, that Lawrence, kind of language. Yeah, and one question on that. Are that the sheer numbers of people, or are they just people you know, in the basement just tweeting this out or putting it on Facebook, a small number of people, but getting it out there? Well, well that's a combination the scary of both. thing. That's the scary thing. Um, there are, you know, some of them are clearly sitting in, in their mother's basement and that sort of thing, and, and they're probably people like the guy in New Zealand. But, you know, many of them, when you look at their profiles, they identify themselves as soccer moms or financial advisors, and they, you know, overtly say that they love God, country, and puppies. So these are people next door. These are not just internet trolls in the classic stereotype sense. Okay. Well, you know what? You're not going to believe this, but we're out of time. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, isn't it amazing? It's, uh, yes, three minutes to five. Anyhow, thank you. Have you back again on this? Because, again, this is not a subject that you can just, you know, run through very quickly. But uh, very interesting. I really want to talk more about what you're talking about and the social media work that you're doing. And, of course, your book that's coming out, again, in late May. You can pre-order it now. It's called America and Islam by Lawrence Pintak. Thank you very much for spending time today on Voices of Experience, Lawrence, and we'll catch up with you soon. Sounds good, Paul. Thanks. Thanks, Lawrence. All right. I guess we are out of time. Thank you to our guest today, Glenn Osterhout, and again, just recently, Lawrence Pintak. You've been listening to Voices of Experience, and we'll be back next Tuesday at 4.30 p.m. and a repeat show at 4, excuse me, 4.30 p.m., repeat show on Friday at 1.30 p.m. Have a great rest of the week. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.